I used to have so many thoughts about mistakes I've made or predicting what's going to happen, the mistakes I would make. Um, all of a sudden, I could bring that back to the skill or whatever it is that I needed to do in that moment. And that's just priceless. It's not really about a medal and it's not really about that final destination or that major events. It's, mm. it's just about that who you become along the way and, and who you help and the experiences that you have. How do we become our best and live a life of meaning and purpose? In a world where the constant focus is on fixing what's wrong with us, we want to highlight what is right and good about you to help you live out your best every day. Hi, I'm Eloise Wellings. And I'm Rory Darkins. And this is What's Right Within. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for joining us again on What's Right Within. Today we have a very special guest, someone who I know very well. She actually introduced me to my wife. Um, so she's she's got credit in the bank. Um, but uh, this person is not only a, a great athlete with a stellar career representing her country, um, but also a great human being who is doing awesome work in the world, helping um, helping people to to build their well-being and um, become more mindful and, and and be the people they want to be. And so I'm excited to welcome my great friend, Brooke Neal, Blackstick. Hey, Brooke. Hello. Thanks for having me. Awesome to be here. Thanks for coming on. Firstly, I mean, um, let's, let's go back with your career as a hockey player, as an incredible hockey player. When did it all start for you? Yeah, I guess we could go back um, as far as when I was three. So I actually picked up hockey stick and started playing in my older brother Shay's hockey team on the grass in Whangarei at Kensington Park. And I don't remember much. I've just got a couple of cute photos with me with oversized shin pads um, and a big grin. But I, I think mum and dad were always saying that I was always wanting to beat Shay, my brother, but also just join in on whatever he was doing. So I don't even think there was a team for three-year-olds, but I just joined his, his primary school team and ran about. And, and I guess that's probably one of the things that has kept me going over the years is just that love of being around people and also wanting to, um, to be where my brother is because I sort of followed him all the way through. So, yeah, that was where it all started for me. It's definitely been in the family for a long time. My dad, um, my mum, my nana, my great-grandma played for the Whangarei Girls High School First Eleven. So, yeah, it's pretty cool going back um, the, all the years and, and seeing that um, hockey's also, yeah, my cousins and stuff players too. So it's, it's something that we all have in common. Yeah. Awesome. So good. And you're obviously from NZ, from, as you said, Whangarei. And um, tell us about what, what, what growing up was like in, in, in NZ, in, in Whangarei, where, you know, was there a lot of sport around or was it just, you know, like how did you, you obviously, you just said that, you know, your family was interested in hockey, but um, whether, did you play other sports? Yeah, well, NZ in Whangarei, every time I talk to Rory, his accent becomes a little bit more Kiwi, but I can definitely tell you've been living in Australia too long. <laughs> I've, I can always tell when he's been speaking to people at home because he becomes a little yeah. bit more NZ. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, growing up in Whangarei and particularly in, uh, about a kilometre away from the, the sporting fields at Kensington Park, we had quite a, quite a lot of just every sort of sport growing up. Um, and I remember just wanting to try as much as possible. And that's what I encourage younger people to do as well. Because I think for me, dancing was a big part of my life. And I joke about it occasionally, but I did cheerleading for six years. And my brother and I won a, a hip hop dancing competition and we actually flew to New York. So it's quite <laughs> funny. <laughs> I've got sort of backstory where if you if you saw me when I was at high school playing hockey you'd think well how on earth is she a dancer because I was, my nickname was baby giraffe and um, I looked like this gangly uncoordinated mess but somehow I managed to miraculously make tackles and 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 I actually put that down to my my dancing and my coordination and being able to 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 sort of do stuff that's a little bit unorthodox um, but it wasn't the status quo of, because I'm not the status quo type person. I never have been. I've always <laughs> been this rule breaker or pushing the boundaries and testing the limits. So um, so I, I definitely did a lot growing up. I think also that started at a really young age. My dad took us to play gym and I just sort of got let loose, if you say, um, on all of the equipment. And yeah, I just had a really active childhood. And I think that... Um, one, the location and the community around you, but also the amount of time and effort that my parents put into us. I mean, we didn't have, you know, a lot of financial resources, but they always seemed to make it work. Um, and, um, and yeah, I, I really put that down to, to that family um, encouragement and also not forcing anything. I didn't ever get told you have to do this. It was always a choice. And if I didn't want to do it, I could quit any time. Yeah. And Brooke, when did you first, when did you first think about playing hockey for your country? You know, you were playing a lot of sports, obviously very active. Like was hockey, was that a dream of yours when you were young or tell us about how you, how you thought about that and how you, how you kind of went to, went on to pursue that? Yeah, I guess it didn't come on the radar because I, actually wasn't that good and I'm saying that because my coaches will, will tell you like when I was at high school I was definitely a bench warmer um, making mistakes and I wasn't the one that was highlighted to say she's going somewhere mm. and um, I share that because I know a lot of athletes have that natural talent and and that's great but for me it was very much I worked so hard and um, and when I was at high school my brother made the the New Zealand team, I think that was 2009. I was really struggling at the time to figure out a direction and um, and my mum actually sort of asked me the question, well, what would you do if you knew that you couldn't fail? If you were guaranteed to succeed, what would you do? And I remember that opening my eyes a lot to thinking past all of the restrictions that I'd put in my own head. Um, and that was quite powerful. So I remember writing down that I wanted to go to the 2016 Rio Olympics and I found the piece of paper. Um, so this was 10 years before it actually happened. I found the piece of paper a month before I left for that village. Oh. So that, that was pretty powerful. And, and at the time I remember thinking, there's no, I mean, you know, you write something and you don't quite believe it, but I just sort of wrote it because yeah. And I put it up on my wall and, and that was, um, that was yeah, 10 years before it happened. So pretty crazy. That's amazing. And sometimes those things can be 
like a self-fulfilling prophecy, you know, like you, you write it down and it's, it's there, it's written. And, uh, and you start, you start little bit by little bit, you start to believe that it could, could actually happen. And I love that your mum asked you that question, you know, um, and what yeah. a question. Eh? What a question. And so Brooke, you went on to play 176 games for New Zealand. Yes. <laughs> and like, so to help us understand how a baby giraffe <laughs> who's warm in the bench in her high school team, following her, her big brother around, seeing him um, make it into those national sides. How did, how do you, how did you go from, um, from that position to playing so many games for your country and really being one of the, one of the most reliable, consistent players in you in your in the side in a great era for the country in the sport. Well, that's the magic question, isn't it? And I think when I'm when I'm sharing my story and my passion and my toolbox, that's what it's come down to is I have been through a really tough journey. Um, I know everyone's got different stories. Mine is um it has been basically probably once a, once a year for the eight years I was in the team, I really questioned why I was doing it and wanted to quit. And I think that's natural when it's something so hard and means so much, you're, you're naturally going to have that desire to just think, well, it would be so much easier if I, if I did quit. And, um, and so I, I took a lot of time during the really tough phases that I went through to figure out, my drive and what I was doing and why. And then to answer your question about how did I go from a baby draft battler? I mean, I still have that, had that the whole way through. And, uh, and I had lots of doubt and second guessing myself. I, I never have been the fittest in the team or the fastest or the most skilled, um, but I played to my strengths and I really knew what I could bring to the team and that was something so different to to anyone else and that's how I cemented that that position at the back as the commander and being able to communicate really well and to see plays happen and unfold um, and you know specific skill sets and things that I really made sure that I was developing mm. but I'd say something that really helped and this is what I teach now to, to my young girls is uh, mindset is everything and, and I didn't know how important it was <laughs> until I really had a major meltdown and then um, and then yeah just realized that if, if I didn't have my mind then I didn't really mm. have anything so I'd say yeah mindset and well-being has become a, the main uh, component that has taken me from mm. I mean we break that down into whole different other sections but yeah can you break that down for us like how did you where did you start with that like how did you start to build yourself back up and what tools did were most important to you during that time to um becoming who you wanted to be yeah well I guess um so my first year into the black sticks was in 2013 and and it was really the hardest year of my entire life and I thought that I'd get into the black sticks and things would be amazing because my dreams are coming true. Um, but a series of really tough events happened. Um, I, I tore three ligaments in my ankle in my first overseas tour. Mm. And then 
I came back early because of that. And because I came back early, um, I was fortunately home when I got the really tough phone call that, um, that our friend, Rory's friend as well, Caitlin passed away from cancer and she, she'd been my closest friend all through high school. And so that was the start of being in a high performance team and to get news that, uh, really shook my whole world upside down. That was one of the hardest things that I went through. And, and that was the time where I was just completely down and out. And I just didn't want to go back to the team because no one knew what I was going through. Um, and also I just struggled to, to put things into perspective because it didn't feel like hockey mattered anymore because, because of what, what had happened. Um, mm. So, so that was, that was my moment of, just why am I doing this anymore? I could quit right now. And I think it's funny how it's not one big sort of thing that gets planted. It's just tiny little seeds that you pick up along the way. It could be just like a podcast or a book or a, a link to something. And then you, you, you hear it or you see it at the exact moment that you need it. Um, and that was definitely the case for me. Uh, my brother sent me an app, a link to an app called Headspace. And, um, and I had no idea what training the mind or meditation or mindfulness was, but I was so desperate that I was willing to try, try anything. And, and that really opened the, the shutters to, to personal wellbeing, growth, mindfulness, um, yoga, everything that I'm doing now basically started because of this really, really tough time in my life. And, and I continue to go through these tough times, but now that I've developed my my resilience, my like toolbox, if you, if you say it, it's become a lot easier and the lows aren't so low. Yeah. Well, I'm keen to go into the toolbox, um, what's in the toolbox in a bit. But firstly, like, you know, I know how close you and Caitlin were, like you two were inseparable and for years. And it was such a such a special but hard time, you know, the, the last few years with her um, and, and sort of almost, I remember, you know, you're kind of almost waiting for the news to come through, you know, like it could be any time and, um, but, but trying to be present at the same time, like how, how did you go about processing that? Like what, how you were injured, you, you kind of had the, heard that news how did you, I know you kind of started doing mindfulness in that time, but what else did you do in that time to really, um, to get through it, you know, cause this was, this is, I know this is the hardest thing, you, you know, you'd ever experienced. Like, yeah. What, what did you do? Um, you're getting me all teary, Rory. Um, <laughs> I, I think my initial instinct was to, make sure everyone else was okay. And that's probably um, something that I, I often do, which fills me up as well as to give. And I didn't realize what I was doing at the time, but I basically took on control of being the mediator and facilitator of, of organizing a funeral, making sure that it was the best experience possible. Um, I just remember at one stage I said to mum, uh, I should be organizing her, her wedding, not her, funeral you know um sorry uh yeah so that was uh probably one way I dealt with it was to to just be busy um which 
as a good and a bad thing, I guess. Um, but it's always, yeah, always hard to, to know what to do when you haven't experienced anything like that, especially as a 21-year-old. Um, I mean, it was just after her 21st birthday and it's just something that no, no parent or anything wants to, to find out. But um, I think long-term looking for, like, looking back, what I did to cope was, um, like, I always tried to talk about her and share her message and learn about what she, what she was about because she was way ahead of the game in a lot of areas, um, as you know, Rory, about holistic health and well-being and how to nourish your body and, and, and all sorts. So um, that's probably one thing that I, I took as well into, into the hockey environment was just making sure that it wasn't just about hockey for me, that there, were, there, there was a lot more that goes into that than just um, turning up and training. Yeah. And how did, so did that experience give you a different perspective on your sport and, and almost a different purpose? Like what changed and when you kind of came, you were obviously injured too, right? So like, how did you get through the injury? But then when you came back to um, playing, well, did it feel different? Did it, was it a different thing to you? Yes and no. I think um, when I when I started to train my mind, I was able to to, to finally get into those zone the zone of those flow states that that you talk about, um, and so I was able to 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 shut off at the right times these emotions and control them. And before then, I didn't actually know that. I had any control over my emotions. I thought that I'd try and block out the bad ones. And, you know, if I, if I was sad, then that was a bad thing um, and that I should block it out. And so once I started doing this mindfulness work, I realized, wow, I can, you know, when I'm training and playing, I can put that to the side and, and not let it affect me. But then in other times it's really healthy and normal to grieve and to, to, to let that emotion out. And I think because I wasn't trying to numb it, anymore um it really allowed me to to go through that process um and it, and it did affect my performance because being able to control my thoughts whether they're in the past or the present bringing it back to the oh sorry the past or the future bringing it back to the present when i'm on the turf i used to have so many thoughts about mistakes i've made or predicting what's going to happen the mistakes i would make um, all of a sudden i could bring that back to the skill or whatever it is that I needed to do in that moment. And that's just priceless. Like I remember uh, doing the, it was like the NHL, the National Hockey League, and it was maybe um, two months after I uh, had rehabbed my ankle and been doing this mind training. And I got MVP of the whole tournament which was very surprising for me because I was new into the black sticks and everyone was playing. And the coach actually came up to me afterwards and he said, oh, what are you doing differently? And I sort of just laughed because back then, mindfulness and meditation, they weren't words that were widely accepted or, or used. And so when I said it to him, uh, he, he just said, oh, good on you, keep, keep it up because it's obviously working. But it just reassured me that I knew that I needed to put more energy and attention into that area. That's 
that's awesome, eh? Because now it's so much more accepted and practiced and and you know that when you talk about high performance the word mindfulness in you know meditation tend to follow quite closely now but i remember back then it was a little bit 10 years ago i would have been seen as being really herbal and yeah alternative yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but now it's it's everyone's seeking it out and and trying to find out how to do it best yeah and actually on that note brooke so let's talk about mindfulness for a second what is what does the the practice really look like for you and i'm aware it's probably changed and evolved over time but when people hear the word mindfulness often it's easy to think straight about meditation but you know the way i see it is like meditation is a practice that helps you to be mindful in real life you know and mindfulness is something that like we, it's being present in the moment we're in and so it's almost like the meditation is a as a training is it, you know to help you to be better at that you're better at coming back to the present moment without judgment like so how how have you gone about training it how much of it is like a, a formal practice versus how much of it is when you're out on the field kind of bringing yourself back you know yeah, it's a good question and I think it has to be a balance. I think the formal training has to happen because you have to build that muscle of being able to pull your mind back. You can't just expect to turn up onto a hockey field in the Olympic quarterfinal and all of a sudden be able to deal with that pressure. And so I actually, you know, I trained my mind, my, my mind for four years before rocking up at the Olympics and I knew that I'd done that work mm. and that's a daily practice. And I think that's the hard thing. There's no quick or easy or easy fix um, for, for performing at your best and for being able to, to pull your mind from the 70,000 thoughts that we have each day back to whatever it is that you're doing. And so the, the formal practice uh, for me looks very simple and it started with just a five to ten minute guided audio because I think that's important to get that guidance to start with otherwise you're sitting there thinking the whole time and not knowing what to do and then over time I think I did that for about three, yeah almost a year and a half every single day I, I'm very competitive and there was like a run streak going on yeah. <laughs> I remember over Christmas I went out of Wi-Fi and I did it but I didn't sync and it started again and I was just so <laughs> devastated. <laughs> um, but then then sort of it's evolved from there and now I, I do my own thing and, and the key thing that I keep coming back to is the breath um, and just realising that you always have your breath to come back to. And it's the one thing that you can change, you know, you can slow it down, you can take a a more of a deep breath and it really helps connect your mind to your body. So I use that not only in the formal training, but throughout the day. Um, and, and that's just one sort of area that I do. I also love post-it notes. Um, I've always tend to, <laughs> to put post-it notes everywhere to remind me to think something. So if I have, um, an affirmation or a goal or if it just says simply breathe then I'll have that like on my sunroof like on sunroof on the car visor um, just little places throughout the day on my desk um, I mean I've got some here now but yeah I mean I I keep them with me always um, <laughs> got your little place that's great that's awesome. yeah and I think it's just mental post-its too you know because 
often you can have, be so busy and distracted and all of a sudden you see something that reminds you that, hey, one, one key thing for me is I'm always feeling like I'm behind and I should be somewhere that I'm not right now. And so I just have one that says I'm not behind, I'm exactly where I need to be. Mm. And just little things like that, it just brings me back and makes me just say, okay, yeah, the expectations that you're putting on yourself right now, Brooke, they're yours and it's okay. Like, just do what you can do, um, control the controllables. So, yeah, that's just a couple of tips out how I incorporate mindfulness into the small things every day. It's not just like one big, long practice in the morning. Yeah, I love that. Because I mean, a lot of people have different ideas around meditation and what mindfulness looks like. And I think that that's probably what turns a lot of people off is that they they think that they have to sit there cross-legged for a long time in a really uncomfortable position and not think about anything. Um, but as you say, it can be it can be a daily practice, and and you just work it out how it's going to work best for you. And for me, it's it's going for a run and maybe spending a few minutes being really really intentional about my breathing. And it's a couple of minutes, and you could call that meditation. Mm. And it's coming back to the present moment. It's dialing right into what I'm doing in that moment. Um, and then when I get into a race, I can easily do that because I've practiced it. I've, you know, when you're feeling this intense pain and you want to pull out or, you know, you, your mind starts unraveling, you go, no, come back, dial in, you know, focus on your breathing. And, um, so it's what I'm trying to say is it can look, you can make it really complicated, but it doesn't have to be. <laughs> yeah. That's so, so true. And I love how you're both talking about, you know, the breath and there's a quote that I kind of often keep in mind because I love the subject of breathing, but it's like the mind is the king of the senses. The breath is the king of the mind. And I don't want, I don't want it my to breath. kind of, <laughs> that's not my quote, by the way, <laughs> if I could pronounce the, the, the person's name, I would say it, but um, just search the quote and you'll see who it came from. Um, so I, I just, when you talk about the breath, it's so easy to overlook. It's the power of it. Yeah. And I, I kind of say that quote just to actually, put a stamp on this and be like actually it is so powerful to use to come back to the present moment and then to be able to shift in in different ways to shift how we actually are the state that we're in and and redirect our attention to where we want it to go so um it's such a great way to incorporate it into the day you know is and the other thing i love about what you said which i think is so important is how you design your environment like you use your environment to help guide your thinking you know whether it's post-it notes or literally you know affirmations or anything it's like we're constantly interacting with the environment and another kind of guiding thought i have with, with mindfulness comes from i think alan langer and she always says um when you're not there uh, when you're mindless you're you're not there to know that you're not there <laughs> like <laughs> you know that's if we talk about being mindful being present and mindlessness being you know um autopilot we're not there to know that we're not there and that's why using the environment to kind of help bring us back it, it gets us around that you know it's otherwise it's so difficult for us to always remind ourselves because as i say like if you're on autopilot you're not you're not bringing yourself back to the present, you know, so we can design our environment to help make it more, help make it more of a habit of coming back to the present. I agree. And I also think that it's tough when times are crappy, like COVID and things, because 
sometimes you just don't want to feel you don't want to you know, there's so so there's so many often when you get into a situation where it's horrible or there's so many negative emotions that's when you want to numb everything and you want to go on autopilot and you want to scroll netflix and you just want to binge eat and um and then i talk about this iceberg so you've got that sort of top five percent which is above water and then that massive 95 percent under the water and the the unconscious behaviors that we do on the day-to-day basis that's you, you it's the same what exactly what you just said Rory. you have no idea that you're doing it but at the same time sometimes you don't want to because um because then whatever you're doing it's numbing what actually is going on which which might be a little bit harder to address so that's why i think this is so important to do on a consistent basis because when you get to covid 19 situations where you're in full survival mode like for me i had i had to make the tough decision to retire from the black sticks in the middle of covid a year out from the postponement announcement and if i hadn't have done 10 whatever years of mind training before this then i totally would have gone out and you know bought bulk treats and alcohol and and probably just crawled up in bed and watched netflix for for three weeks straight um and luckily i had the training to to i mean i'm not saying that i didn't do any of those things (laughs) (laughs) i did a lease of i caught myself earlier (laughs) You knew that you were doing them, which is the power, right? You got to choose whether you want to keep doing it or not. That's right. And hey, Brooke, um, I don't want to skim over the fact that, you know, you did just announce your retirement from the Black Sticks after such a stellar career and your whole last four years were organised around um, this Olympic Games and then it's postponed and the postponement, you know, obviously caused you to, to... rethink whether you you know wanted to to go another year and what was that like for you tell us about the year and and the process you've been through to come to that decision of to retire well rory you've had a front row seat because you're often the person i ring when i am confiding and needing an ear um and Eloise, you would completely relate because your training program probably looked like mine where every single day was color coded yeah. and labeled and planned to the hour mm-hmm. um for recovery and for sleep and for training and for gym so the life of an elite athlete is very much you i mean for a team sport particularly you know your schedule a year out and um and that brings quite a lot of reassurance to know this is where i need to be i can make these plans and this is when I'm going to be out of the country, et cetera. And so when when we were uh, when we were meant to be going on a Europe trip was when the whole lockdown happened, and um, that was just a build up phase for Tokyo. And so because I was going to be travelling most of the year, my my partner Cam and I we actually moved out of our accommodation. Um, and so when COVID hit, I was literally on Airbnb scrolling um, to find somewhere to, to, to live. And he was trying to ask for his job back because he was also traveling for, for hockey. And so all of a sudden, just not even just with the, take away the, the Olympic thing, we were just trying to find somewhere to live because we also had no furniture. Uh, so that's why, hence the Airbnb. Well, so all of a sudden, finally found somewhere to stay um, I'm sitting there watching the announcement that the Olympics are postponed a year 
and we're also in lockdown for the foreseeable future um, in this new crazy world, which is really scary. Um, I had never experienced any that, that level of uncertainty in my life, mm. just having no control over anything, any of the decisions. Um, the one thing that I knew I had control over was whether or not I decided to keep going because for, for me, I was ready to retire after the, the Olympics this year and had made lots of plans with my business, my personal life and my career um, around that. And also with my body, uh, hockey for, for how many years isn't the, isn't the greatest on it. And, um, and so I was thinking about longevity as well and just in day-to-day life. So, yeah, so I sat there and I, I knew straight away in my gut, which I didn't actually share with anyone. I just had that feeling straight away. Um, and then I sat on it for the entire lockdown. So it was about eight weeks and it was horrific because I was thinking to myself, I wonder if it'll change. Mm-hmm. And then one day when we went to level three, lockdown um which over there i'm not sure the levels for australians but yeah, yeah, it's so like the, the reverse it's the inverse yeah. it's yeah. very silly mm. yeah so when we went to level three i kept thinking um back to this i don't know you know when you see things in your mind that have been a part of your past and they just popped to the front of your mind all of a sudden mm. um, my mum has quotes mum and dad at their place they have quotes all on their bathroom wall do you remember this growing up Rory I do remember the quotes yeah Yeah. so people would like go to the wall go to the bathroom even if they didn't need to go to the toilet and just sit there and read the quotes on the wall (laughs) (laughs) for a little pick me up yeah I mean it's we live in a house of um self-development let's just put it that way and so one of the quotes that came to my mind was so crazy it's um it was something along the lines I'm not going to get it right but um, basically this is your life you get to decide um and then it goes on you know if you don't like something then change it and you're in control basically Mm. I just thought wow this is my decision what am I waiting for I'm waiting for approval or what other people think and I think for the first time I didn't go external and say hey what do you think I should do because of course everyone's going to have different opinions Mm. Um, and then yeah I made the decision and it was the toughest decision I've made but also because I made it from a sense of this isn't for me and me only I yeah I was very proud of it and Mm. as soon as I made it I knew it was the right one because literally felt like 20 kgs of weight had just been lifted off my shoulders and Mm. then I could move forward with a purpose Mm. but also because I'd set up my life and my transition a long time ago with my business so that I knew I was stepping into something that was equally as if not more purposeful than competing Mm. wow that's such a brave decision and you know, I, I I mean, obviously the best one because you seem so happy and um, and content with with where you're going. And yeah, I think it's very easy for athletes to hold on and hold on and hold on because none of us like change that much. <laughs> and it's especially, I mean, it would have been escalated even or intensified for you because you're in a team environment. 
as well, I feel like it would probably be a little bit easier for an individual, an athlete in an individual sport to go to know when their time's up. And um, But in a team environment, I'm, I'm guessing, or you can tell us, was there pushback about, around your decision? Did, did people say, oh, no, you know, you're making the wrong decision, you know, to try and sway you the other way? Like what was that like when you, when you started breaking the news to, to people that were important to, to your career, sporting career? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, the immediate people I told, my, my immediate friends and family, um, was very surprising that they, they came back and said, that, that's amazing news, I'm so happy for you. We knew you'd do that. Um, and that was reassuring because they know me better than anyone. Um, but they wanted to let me make that decision by myself. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty, pretty special. And then my team, um, there were a lot of people that didn't see it coming, but I was very... Um, very overwhelmed by the amount of support that I got from saying that they were proud because I made the decision for me Um, because often I'm putting the team first and that's our whole philosophy is you do what you need to for the team Mm. and yeah I did I mean if the people if, if people made negative comments it wasn't from 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 people that really matter to me um and they they don't know my full story and they don't have um, my best interests at heart. So I, I didn't get many, to be honest, um, because it was such an unraveling time for everyone. Mm. And and I think that was reassuring in a way that um, everyone was going through something, <laughs> even if it wasn't a decision to retire or the Olympics postponed, everyone was struggling and mm. um, everyone was there for each other over that time. Yeah. What do you miss about it? Do you miss anything? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I, I, I don't miss um, being completely and utterly exhausted in the fitness sessions. Um, <laughs> all of the really, really hard nitty gritty. I mean, although I do miss the feeling afterwards of just feeling like you've absolutely got pushed your limits. Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest things um, that I miss and it's really hard to replicate when you're not doing something with a team because I'm such a team person. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely miss that connection with the girls and they'd always be dragging me through whatever the session was um, and you'd want to push for each other. So mm-hmm. I, yeah, I mean there's definitely going to be things that, that I miss and also um, I'm trying to find ways to to keep that in my life and in in different areas so yeah yeah nice and uh, it's so easy when we talk to people like you who have achieved great things in sport like we haven't even touched on the fact that you've won a commonwealth games gold medal right (laughs) like you know this we can go there in in a bit but before we do like tell us about the realities of being an elite athlete like sport as you said before I've had a front row seat so I kind of know a bit more context about what it's actually been like at times um so without obviously going into too much details you're not comfortable with but like what what's the reality of being an athlete you know if we kind of look at the the dark side of it as well as the you know all the the stuff that we see publicly of of the kind of glamour of it yeah, I think that's really important to share because often you only see the the, the Instagram filtered version. Mm. Um, and so I think the 
the thing that I didn't know before I went in was literally how much energy and time, it's basically your whole life and everything else you plan around it, but it is at the center of everything that you do. And it dictates a lot of how you spend your time and energy. So we travel often for probably over 200 days a year. Um, we, we don't get enough funding to be able to commit to it full time. And so if you're not studying and on a scholarship, um, you're either trying to work part-time for whatever employer is going to, to facilitate you taking unpaid leave for two weeks or three weeks every month, um, which I did have for about a year and a half until I completely burned out and decided to launch my own business. But even then, for me, then, then it's all on my shoulders and I have to go out and make sure that I've got income to support me, which is really tough, especially when you're you've got enough to worry about and then you have to worry about um, finances as well. Yeah. But um, also living in Auckland, it's really tough because it's, it's not a cheap place to live. And because when you're, you're gone so much, I mean, for us, I think we've lived maybe, I, I lost count, but um, maybe in the last two years, we've stayed at about nine, 10 different places. So, so we're constantly moving. Um, mm just based on a lot of different factors. So that's quite unsettling too. And then the amount of time that you're away from your friends and family and the events mm. that you miss, special events and occasions, it's a lot of sacrifice and dedication that you, you know you sign up to and you often get used to it in a way, but you're always that person that your friends just assume that you're not going to be able to make something and, and that was really tough for a while. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's and that's the thing is is like the you're pursuing your your passion and it's got real purpose and there's a real honor to competing for your country and representing your country and and you know you're you're living your dream in so many ways. But you know, I, I do think that you know the reality of not knowing where you're gonna live, you know, like that's there's a basic like there's there's this human I think we forget that athletes are real uh, are, human and have human needs like you know security and um, you know and if you don't know where you're living you don't know what your year's gonna look like you don't know where you how your finances are gonna work out and like that's a that's a huge um strain to begin with let alone to then be expected to go out and compete on the world stage from that you know like how have you what would be your advice to a um you know a, a younger athlete coming through about how to prepare themselves for that reality assuming that you know new zealand hockey doesn't suddenly become super well funded and you actually get paid you know what you would out <laughs> working in the world what would you say to someone coming through start fundraising baby sausages <laughs> all, chocolates whatever you can no you're knocking uh, yeah you know, my brother and I, because he went to the Rio Olympics too, um, we both quit our jobs. He's a lawyer. We quit our jobs a year out from Rio to fundraise, and we fundraised our way for, for a year so that we could fully commit to the training. Mm -hmm. So we knew that we to get in the team, we couldn't keep working our jobs, and that was a sacrifice we made. Um, so in all honesty, fundraise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that is so remarkable like the I mean not only 
that you fundraised through, but also like you and, and your brother were in the same Olympics together. Like how, how special was that? Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Like in the village, I remember seeing you there always in the yeah. food hall. I loved, and, I've always loved running, running into you. It's always in the food hall, isn't it? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so good. Of food. yeah. But I mean, just the people that you know, and then on a next level to see my only sibling um, in a village of 10,000 other athletes, mm. top of the world. Um, yeah. There's nothing that quite compares to that, particularly because he was the one that kept pushing me through those tough times too. Um, but I just wanted to go back to your question, Rory. Um, around advice to the younger athletes coming through because I think that it's important to have that balance and um, my business is called all about balance and it's probably my favorite word but also the most misinterpreted word because it mm. can mean different things yeah um, and the balance between um, ha having the uh, the capacity to be able to put everything into your training to give yourself the best shot but also know what your other buckets are going to be, whether that's study or work, or even if, if you're just following a curiosity that takes you somewhere that m you might want to do in the future. Mm. And I think that's probably a blessing in disguise with, with hockey is that you can't rely on that income. So you do have to go and figure out some other way. Mm. And it often um, has shown that once, once you retire, then at least you have have that that other ex life experience mm. um, to fall back on. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's gold because it, it's it's such a nuanced area, right? Like I remember the research I did with the Australian um, cricket legends was one of the, one of the top findings from that was the importance of um, what we called balance in life and mind, which is like what exactly what you're saying. You know, it's like having other interests outside of your sport. And the, the benefit of those really seemed to come from the fact that it gave you something else to do with your mind. <laughs> and, you know, another quote from that research to that point was um, uh, one of the older, older players said, you know, one of the problems with um, elite sport these days is that athletes don't have enough to do with their mind because they're, they're, if, if it is the only thing that you're doing, the tendency is to think about it all the time and, you know, having time to think about something else can really help you to perform well over the long term and as well as top up your, your well-being. So it's awesome that you're such a, um, a representative of, of that and like the, how to actually do it. And I guess from a real um, practical experience of, of exactly what you just said, Rory, is when I returned home from the, the 2016 Olympics, I, I hadn't planned to do anything and I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that athletes make is you just say okay I'm going to have a rest and a break here but you you don't have that drive or purpose after a big event um, and so I actually that's how I got into going and visiting um, I think it was 56 schools in 90 days or something crazy and just traveled the country and learned how to tell my story in a way that would inspire and impact the younger uh, generation and that sense of purpose and giving and seeing the impact that I could make it all of a sudden took it from me playing hockey for because it, I want to represent New Zealand and do really well for my team and myself it took that and it expanded it and said hey if I'm making this impact 
if I'm representing New Zealand, then I my profile can be raised and I can share that with um, with all of, of the next generation coming through. So that sense of identity and not all being wrapped up in my sport, being able to share that, that was something that probably in the last four years particularly has really kept me going mm. because the first sort of four years, I guess, in the team, I was still just trying to, you know, add value. And, and then I sort of got to a certain level where I was like, well, what, what am I doing it for now? And mm. that's sort of what, what came up. Yeah, that's, that's so interesting about purpose, right? Because um, there's a, a phrase I really like to, to kind of use with athletes, which is like high performers organize their life around what matters most to them. But that can be misinterpreted as you organize your your life exclusively around the the skills in the sport that you're in. But the key part of that phrase is what matters most, right? And what matters most is is really a lead into purpose. And it sounds like your purpose, your sport had a place in your bigger purpose, and you're speaking and sharing, you know, your um, your message and inspiration to young people had was part of the same purpose. And I think that's really such a good example of what that means is like organize your life around what gives you purpose. Mm. And then all the various activities feed into that. And that does that line up with your kind of view on balance? It does um, completely. I think that's a really interesting thing. And it's literally only been the last couple of years that I'm really starting to understand and deep dive into that. And I think when this this topic is introduced to the majority of people, it's sort of scary because a lot of people don't know what their purpose is. Mm. And I've, I've spoken particularly to the younger generation and the younger girls that I work with is they feel like whenever someone talks about find your purpose, find your passion, you shouldn't have to know. And that's okay if you don't know. And I know you've spoke about this before, Rory, but I always say as well is, those little curiosities. If, if yeah. you're curious in something, then start with that instead of just going, oh, I need to find this one thing yeah. that, I'm, that I'm deeply passionate about. Yeah. So yeah, I think that we can often lead people astray and make them feel quite isolated. Yeah, and I think that's, that's such an important point because, you know, it's why we kind of intentionally use the term explore your potential because it's in the same with purpose. Like it's actually exploring it like it's not defining it and and living it necessarily it's actually like that curiosity to go and explore like oh this is interesting i'm going to do more of that and 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 that's what's so um interesting about what you've done right is that you've you've explored things that you are interested in and you've found um innovative ways to really combine it all into a unique uh unique package of of how you how you live you know and and I think that curiosity of um, that curious mindset is is the thing that we really want people to kind of um, latch onto here is like, don't worry about judging whether you've got the right answer or not. Like open up, open it up as a question and be curious about exploring like how could, how could um, this thing I'm interested in play into my, you know, bigger, into things that I care about? How could I, how could I give value to the world around me? through the things that I'm interested in or good at or, or whatever. And how could that all package together? So I think you're such a great example of that. Uh, mm. It's a really, really good point. What's been your career highlight and why? 
That's a, I mean, I could easily go to the 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 Commonwealth Games gold be, beating Aussie. Uh, in the, which was at the com uh, the Gold Coast Commonwealth Games in two thousand and eighteen. Yeah, in front of a sold out home crowd with maybe like a hundred. <laughs> New Zealand supporters who cheered louder than the entire stand. And most of them were related to you. You know, I tried, I was out on a run and the day that you were playing that game and I ran into Rory and Hannah who were just outside the fence looking for a way to sneak in out the back of the hockey fields. And yeah, it was crazy. So, I mean, it, it still stings a little bit for us Aussies, but, you know, congratulations again. Thank and, you. That means a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, not to cut you off, Brock, you know, like let's really make the most of this, this highlight here about beating Australia and the, um, and to win the gold. Tell us, tell us what that was like for you. And then we can go to another highlight if you want as well. Maybe we should talk about the netball. What happened in the netball? Did Aussies win gold against the Kiwis? Oh, classic. No, well, I mean, we've got such a great rivalry and I actually had an, a few nice messages from the Australian girls um, who messaged me when I retired because you do have that, that rivalry over the years and you just can't wait to play them because you know it's going to be such a fierce battle. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, yeah, I mean, we we struggled. So we beat them in, in like a pool play and then... Um, yeah, when we got to the final, everything just seemed to click. It was just one of those games, and uh, and it was a comfortable win too. I mean, comfortable. I think I can't. Don't quote me on the final score, but there was definitely two a two goal buffer in it. So yeah. we we just had to hang on for dear life at the end because we got fully attacked from all angles. Just sort of just put the balls up on defence, and um, yeah, and then got to got to celebrate at the end with a nice shiny gold medal. Yeah. <laughs> It's really funny. It intrigues me that I know most athletes don't remember any like the details, like that, the score or what. It's it's you win, or, you won or you lost. It's yeah. I couldn't I'm tell you what time I've done in lots of yeah. events. Um, I either ran well or I didn't, or I won or I lost. And um, yeah. super interesting. I'm definitely not a fix of figures or or who even who I played in a tournament, <laughs> which um, yeah, a lot of people are like and I know people who can remember every single detail and time and score and everything so it's either one or the other Mm. but I wanted to reiterate on the highlights sports my highlights is when I retired I sent out an email to the team um, basically announcing my retirement which was a really hard email to send and it spent a couple of days crafting it and I didn't quite know what to say and so for each year that I played I wrote down a highlight Mm. and um, and then I got a phone call the next day from one of my teammates and she said, do you know what's amazing is that not one of those highlights is on the field? <laughs> and I thought, well, that's pretty special. And I think that just shows exactly why I do it as well. It's just those tiny, funny moments in hotel rooms and who forgot this or whatever it was. It's, yeah. it's often the little things that people remember about certain tours and trips and years. Yeah. And um, and I thought that was pretty cool because it it's not really about a medal and it's not really about that final destination or that major event. It's mm. it's just about that who you become along the way and and who you help and the experiences that you have. 
That's so true. And it's been so much of, I mean, our experience for Johnny and I, we've often talked at like finished a major championship, whether it be a a Com Games or a World Champs or an Olympics and come home and like he said, I just want to do it all over again. Not, not for the, for the race, even though, you know, he loves watching me run, but for the build up and for what you learn along the way, what you learn about each other and, Mm. you know, the, the highs and the lows and the things that you have to push through and, the the character growth that comes through you know building up for such a major event um is is special and you kind of yeah you kind of miss that um when you're not building up for it but yeah it's so true that those little moments along the way can be the the major highlights that that no one sees really Mm. yeah Yeah. and this is this is gold eh? because like this is it speaks so strongly to like there's there's so much more purpose to pursue what you're passionate about than just the the outcome you know it's actually not about the medal it's about who you become in striving to to win you know mm-hmm. and doesn't johnny i'm pretty sure johnny has a great quote he said one time about that it's like it's not about winning it's about who you become trying to win or something yeah. like that <laughs> oh, that's so good johnny Jono. uh wise, yeah, wise man wise owl. um just cool. a just a quick point on that um you know the person i was referring to before from the cricket research he actually said you know i've been in, involved in over 100 premiership wins and i can't remember any of them all i can remember is the people i met along the way mm. i'm like when i heard that i was like wow that's not talked about in sport yeah <laughs> and what you're saying is like all of your highlights from every year they're all about the people along the way and i think that point needs you know restating um just that in anything we do yeah. it's about who we become and and how we share and contribute to the people along along the way you know totally and i think it can be misconstrued that too as well because, I mean, you said, Brooke, before, like you're really competitive and it doesn't mean that we're not desperate to win, like still yeah. desperate to win. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> totally. But, um, yeah, at the end of the day, when you finish your career or when, you know, you're getting towards the last few years, you start to think in hindsight, actually, my most memorable moments and my most um, I guess exciting moments and the ones that you want to you'd love to go back and relive have nothing to do with you know the result or the performance it's more about who who you did that journey with and who you spent that time with totally we could talk to you all day brooke um i want to be respectful of of your time and so um close it out with a a few kind of quick hits before we get to rory's rap um and so just a few things we'd love to hear more about the work you're doing with your business all about balance and like share share what you're up to with that and and the the key messages that you're that you're teaching and sharing through that sure so really quickly all about balance is basically um workshops and online programs designed for high school female athletes so young sportswomen um who are really those overachievers that burn out and are the perfectionists um, because I was that at high school and I've designed this work for me. Um, the, the head girl, you know, trying to do it all and pretending like everything's okay. So I've, I've put my sort of 10 years in, in the elite space um, and boiled that down into some really key skills and modules that we, that we go through. And that's that whole toolbox that we mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. 
And so, yeah, I've spent the last four years teaching and, and learning what works and what doesn't in that space. And at the moment I've been basically, now that I've retired, I'm doing this full time, which is pretty exciting. My, um, my mission is just to, to, to help those young athletes find balance in their lives and, and be able to deal with that negative inner critic and, and and I do that through workshops in person. So if, if any New Zealand um, people are out there, then I do in-person visits. But m- more importantly, lately with this whole COVID situation, um, I've just launched an eight-week online learning um, learning program, mm. and it's called Finding Her Balance. So that's just launched fresh from last week, which is pretty exciting. Right. Um, I can send you the details if anyone's interested in signing up for that. But um, yeah, I think it's brookneal.co.nz forward slash online course. And that's incorporated live sessions with um, self-paced work and all sorts of stuff, yeah. And I guess the other part of that is my yoga. So I'm a trained yoga teacher as well. And I love um, sharing the, the particularly the restorative type of yoga with athletes to help them more with their, connect their mind with their body. And um, I've even done some during lockdown online with like bedtime yoga, which has been pretty cool. Just turn up in your PJs. <laughs> so yeah, I'll, I'll definitely be growing that too. But it's just something that like you probably tell when I talk about it, I get quite fast and excited because it's just something that I wish I had. And I know it's so needed at this time. Yeah. Um, and I know that there's so many young sportswomen out there with, the changes to their sporting schedules and and I've been talking to them face to face just seeing how much anxiety um and fear they have at the moment so I'm just trying to reach as many many of them as possible yeah and I think that's I mean it sounds like it's so powerful in terms of just helping to build up them as as young women as well build into their confidence and empower them and I don't know, sharing the, I guess that message that they already have what's in them to succeed. They just, you know, need to dial into that and, and hearing you speak and hearing from your experiences would be so impacting. And yeah, I wish I had you come to come to my school when I was 15. Um, But yeah, anyone out there definitely get in touch with Brooke. Do you want to just We'll, we'll, sh- we'll chuck your, um, your details in our show notes. Yeah, for sure. And Brooke, what's in your toolbox? Oh, what is it? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, key things, I, I try and stick to about four, four tools. Um, I'd say energy, like how to get energy and sustain energy because if you don't have energy, you don't have anything. And that that's, goes a lot into... Um, mind tools and body tools so breath work yoga mindfulness all of that and then um next layer i'd say well sort of goes into the mind training is yeah just your mindset in general so dealing with your negative thoughts and ways to do that and then um yeah third one i'd say that would be all about goals and how do you set goals and what do you like what do you even want um and, and what's the process to get there and then I'd say the final one would be your performance. How do you perform under pressure and how do you prepare well so that you can actually consistently turn up and, and do what you need to do? So I guess that's a brief yeah. uh, what's in my toolbox. Yeah, yeah. so tools for energy, tools for mindset, 
um, tools for uh, the fourth one was high performance. Yeah, clear clear goals and vision, and the fourth one being um, about high performance, how to actually get the best out of yourself when it when it really counts. And just a quick one on that, Brooke, before we go to Rory's wrap. Um, this I know you've got an awesome story about being in the zone, being in flow. Are you able to share what it's you know what it's like being in a flow state and and what what is possible in that? Which moment are you talking about? <laughs> I, I've got this clear image of you taking on the role of a goalie. Oh yes, yeah. So it was in the tor- tournament for the Olympics, and it wasn't a special tournament, and we, we didn't end up doing that well actually. But there was a key moment in one game where we took the goalkeeper off and I actually became the goalkeeper when it was a penalty corner for those hockey nuts out there who know what I'm talking about. And basically the whole opposition team, there were only seconds on the clock and I had to put a helmet on and just put two gloves on and I didn't have anything else apart from shin pads. Basically, I had to decide, was I going to stop this ball that's coming over 100 kilometres an hour at me with my body because if I did if it hit my body then it would be play on or would I chicken out and move out of the way and let them score on full time and so majority of the time when the goalkeeper is subbed and it's a penalty corner the opposition score Mm. um so I knew that in my mind but I think the reason why this moment for me was that in flow what you talk about Rory is because everyone looked to me even the captain of the team at the time because I was the acting goalkeeper and I just took on that leadership role and I remember thinking um, I'm calm, I'm clear, I'm confident and I'm here, I'm present and that was my mantra that I just kept saying to myself as I was putting my gear on Um, and then yeah as as everyone says when they experience it's only been a couple of times where I've been that full fully immersed everything slowed down just saw it in slow motion and I've actually got a video of it which I share at my talks that I do Mm. where yeah the the ball's dragged out and I managed to save the ball the first time and then it's a repeat so there's another penalty corner so I have to go over it all again and I managed to save it a second time and then the 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 whistle goes and you can just see the look of relief on my face but I don't think if I hadn't done the mind training I would have been thinking I'm going to get hurt here I should just move out of the way you know all of that stuff but I was able to fully let go and um, and be in that state wow amazing that's I love that story because it's it is the fruit of the work, you know, in a performance setting, because in that moment when you're faced with real fear, like physical danger, like, you know, your, your survival brain will be wanting to get you out of there. And instead you, you move toward it and you, and you just bring yourself to the present with that mantra about being calm and clear and and confident and, and here. And I love how that's in the present tense, you know, like I am, um, in, you know, these amazing experiences are what's possible when you actually, you know, give yourself a chance by, by being fully there. So awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Brooke, um, are you ready for Rory's rap? Always ready. I've been, I've been listening to your last podcast, so I know what's coming. <laughs> no pressure. Do you though? Oh no, I have no idea. <laughs> no pressure at all. Brooke, honestly, you're you're a legend, eh? We um, 
we're so appreciative of your firstly your authenticity mm-hmm. with like everything you do just has this like the stamp of authenticity on it like your whether it's your speaking the way you share about the realities of sport whether it's how you how you share about what's important it's like it's so genuine and so just flows from this place of truth and you know i think that in itself is is a valuable insight to be like how can we as individuals just be more authentic be more ourselves you know i think by being more us we are able to give more to the world around us and we're able to experience the best of what's possible for us and we're also able to get through really challenging times so i think your authenticity and how you've gone about everything carving out your own path is is so striking um with that you know you bring such a passion and and energy to everything you do like you you know from that authentic place you're like okay i'm gonna be fully in you know you're not you're not the sort of person who's kind of got one toe dipped in the water you're like embracing it arms wide open like okay all of me is wherever you are you give all of yourself whether it's to the students you're talking to or your teammates or us in this conversation i think again that's it takes so much courage to allow the world to fully see who you are and to be fully expressing who you are in the world and you know that is inspiring because it does take so much courage because if we are arms wide open expressing fully who we are if people don't like that that hurts more than if we feel like we're kind of walking around guarded or just only showing parts of ourselves but mm. i think you know to to do what you've done it's so evident that there is this this full-on embracing of of possibility and the last thing i want to highlight is so much i could talk about because i know you so well but the, the last thing I really want to highlight is is the power of having a vision, you know, like you're from what you've shared and also what I know of you, like you've, you've had a clear vision and you've had the courage to, to lean into it and embrace it. And like your, your mom said to you, you know, like, what would you do if you couldn't fail? Like you've really lived that mm-hmm. you've not been held back by those, the voice of doubt that I know that, you know, you, we all have that you've you've had but you've not fed that you've you've almost doubled down on you know what i'm gonna fully embrace this bring all of me to this and and from that let's see what's possible and and i think your legacy within your sport is proof of what's possible you know like you know you went from being called a baby giraffe <laughs> to to being one of you know one of the best players in new zealand hockey you know, in the modern era like you know that's so significant and yet what you've done on the field is is nothing compared to what you're doing off it and the person you're being um, to the people in your life so thank you for for sharing part of your story and part of your toolbox um and i could not endorse your work more highly um so anyone listening whether you're interested in checking out online resources or if you're in new zealand and and interested to check out some of um Brooks options in person like 100% young people need to hear from you and your message um, yeah your message needs to be shared far and wide um, because you've you've got so much to to give so thanks for being you so much that's amazing can I do a quick Brooks rap (laughs) 
I just wanted to say, uh, you two, just such an inspiration. Eloise, with you starting your foundation and having a baby and then going back, coming back to go to the Olympics, I've always, since Rory's introduced me to you, I've always been following you and just thinking, being a mother is hard enough as it is, let alone being able to go and compete at the Olympics. So you're just such an inspiration. And then Rory, like going from knowing you as a 14-year-old cricketer at Whangarei Boys High School, um, where we were both sort of <laughs> listening to Taylor Swift and you were showing me you, like core exercises because I had no idea what I was doing in the gym. So um, to then meeting your lovely wife, well, I'm, I'm glad to act as Cupid on that part because you two suit each other so well. And then seeing you develop um, morph your cricket, um, your, I guess, passion in that area to being able to, to learn more about positive psychology. And, and basically that's, I think that's why we get along. So one of the reasons why we get along so well is because that's just such a passion area for you seeing what you've been doing with virtual reality and all sorts of stuff. And then this podcast, just to sort of top it off, you, you just have been rocking it. So very proud. And um, that's Brooks rap. How did I do? <laughs> We've never had anyone turn the tables. The tables have been turned. Thank you. I don't know how we're ever going to come back from that, but <laughs> thanks so much. <laughs>